Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It was like two hours of Sam first talked for half an hour just on his own, which was just unbelievable. And then he sat there for an hour and a half and answered every single question. That day was particularly tough for me because I had to pee about an hour and 15 (laughs) minutes into it. What were you doing? Were you just like grabbing your calf? I was pressing my laptop against my (laughs) thighs. Like I'm just, I am in anguish because I'm just like, somebody please ask the book question. Hello and welcome to Takeline. I'm your host, Jason Concepcion. This week we're talking about season openers and seasons that are coming up. Hope shines across the country in the world of college football. But in OKC, it's looking like we're heading back to Tanktown. Chet Holmgren uh, has been ruled out for the upcoming season after suffering a Lince Frank injury to his foot in a pro-am game last week. Andrew Schlecht, Thunderbeat reporter for The Athletic, is going to join us and let us share in his sadness. And it is deep and it is rich sadness. Then Nicole Auerbach, senior college football reporter for The Athletic, uh, will preview the upcoming college football season and talk to us about the Big Ten's absolutely titanic new TV rights deal that is worth some $7 billion over seven years. Here we go. Chet Holmgren, it looked amazing. You saw the memes. You saw the budding romance between he and Josh Giddy. how delighted Josh Giddy was to be passing this giant human who can actually shoot the ball. Chet Holmgren setting summer league records in blocks. And then it all came crashing down at a pro-am game in which Chet Holmgren, through a non-contact injury, injured his foot. Turned out to be a Lince Frank injury. He's going to miss the upcoming season. Thunder General Manager Sam Presti addressed the media last week. I think everybody's aware that earlier today we announced that Chet would be missing this season uh, with a Liz Frank injury to his to his right foot. Um, this is a, a, a rupture of the tendon and not a fracture. And then basically saying, hey, this is part of sports. This could have happened at any game, anywhere. And to help us unpack the fallout from this event is number one sad man in the NBA, Andrew Select, OKC Thunder reporter uh, with The Athletic. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Okay, so take us through the events that led to OKC rookie Chet Holmgren injuring his foot, which we now understand is a Linz Frank injury. We can go into like what type of injury that is. A really rare injury for basketball, it seems. But take us through what happened. Yeah. Oh, man. So they're playing in this pro-am game, and it happens to be in Seattle, which as a Thunder fan, you feel like this is already cursed anyways. Like this shouldn't happen. Yeah. And then you see the clip of him, and you don't quite understand what happened. 
because he just comes up gimpy on this drive and there doesn't seem to be really anything at all that happened. Mm -hmm. He just kind of tries to block LeBron, ends up gimpy, has to leave the game after like two minutes. So you're like, okay, that's weird. And then you don't hear anything for like a week and a half. Right, which is always a red flag when they go silent. Oh, it, it just depends on who you are. If if you're a negative Thunder fan, you're like, all right, he's dead. You know, like we're never going to see him <laughs> again. And then if you're more of a positive person, you're like, well, no news is good news, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But then Shams gets a hold of it. And any time that Shams puts your team name and the word fear in a tweet, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about this injury. Again, we see it in football quite a bit. Right. And of course, you know, any kind of injury to a big guy, to a seven foot and over basketball player is always a cause historically for a little bit sharper concern. Sure. Uh, what is this injury? So it's not a bone break. It's a tendon that was ruptured. And so there's actually a pretty great video. I've been told that like this video, there's this doc. I can't remember who, what his name is. Yeah, I've seen it many times, but I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, he is spot on because he puts this pressure on his leg. You have LeBron driving at him. He's backpedaling. And then he puts like this full force on his right foot as it's like bending and then tries to kind of explode off of that foot, which it makes much more sense for football players to be in that position, especially like linemen. Right. But he tries to explode off that foot, ends up rupturing this tendon in kind of the middle of his foot area. And it's pretty bad. You know, I've talked to a physician here in Oklahoma City that's been doing it for a long time, doing orthopedic surgery. And he said, this is a bad injury. He said, it's not something he can't come back from, but this is a bad injury. Like it's going to take six, he said, like a normal person, it would take about six months to recover from. He said, with a guy like this, you want to be a lot more careful. So let's zoom out for a second. So the Thunder have in the kind of post KD, post Russell Westbrook years been notably acquiring draft assets, flipping those draft assets for exciting young players. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the cynical term would be tanking, yeah. but we can call it, you know, acquiring young players and developing them, allowing them to play as we continue to stockpile draft assets. And it seemed like this season was certainly going to be one of the potential off-ramps for that strategy. Sure. Gideon Holmgren looked so exciting in Summer League, like beyond exciting. You've got SGA. You've got a really nice young core. This throws that all into a certain kind of chaos for sure. But what is the sense around the team about what's going to happen going forward? Is SGA, for instance, going to be okay with running back the strategy of recent years? Mm-hmm. I have heard nothing but positive things from Shea. Even at exit interviews, Shea, you know, ran into the media room all smiles and like saying like, what's up, what's up, everybody? You're like, I didn't know who that was. I thought it was like Thunder PR or somebody behind us. <laughs> and he, you know, told us that he's very on board with what the Thunder are doing. Also, like the fact remains, he just signed a five-year deal that starts this year. Yeah. And when you have a five-year deal with no option on the last year, it's pretty difficult to have leverage, you know, and this certainly sets the Thunder back and it really sucks for Shea in particular because yeah. they have nobody that has gravity on that team. Yep. Like Josh Giddy's a really good player, but when he's off ball, no gravity at all. Yeah. All the other guys, nobody cares about any of those guys Yep. except for Shea. Like Lou Dort, fire away, man. I think Lou Dort almost took eight threes a game last year. <laughs> and it's because nobody cared that he shot the ball. Chet would have had gravity. And he could have had like a pick and pop game going, pick and roll. He could have had you know, a lot of you know, good passes on the short roll. Like 
Chet can do a lot of things to kind of unlock that Shay and Giddy pairing. People have been asking me a lot, like, is is this good because it gives Shay and Giddy time to, you know, mold their games together? Like, actually, no, because Chet was going to be the link between those two. Yeah. And so we really are kind of rewinding a year. But if you, a lot of people are like, well, you got to trade Shay now. But it's like, wait, 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 stop. Let's say the Thunder get to the next draft. They draft fifth. And then they get to bring in the fifth pick, whoever that may be, and Chet that next season. Then, like, you have a very young, exciting team if you just wait one more year. And I don't see any reason why you would trade Shea because the minute you trade Shea this summer, next summer, you're like, okay, how can we get, like, a 25-point score? It's like, well, you just, yeah. you just traded him last summer. You know, right. you, can't, you can't turn that guy into picks. The X factor, of course, is does Shea want to stay? And it seems, again, sure. to your point, all indications are he wants to stay. Let's talk about that draft because the odds-on favorite for this draft is – you know, Francis Victor Wambanyama, another seven foot plus absolute freak. You know, the multiple teams are going to be angling to acquire draft assets to maximize their potential to get him. What do you make of one of the criticisms of Chet has been, and this always happens with big guys who get injured was, oh, here we go. Another skinny guy. He's too skinny to play in the NBA. Yeah. Ignoring that, you know, Brandon Ingram, is a guy that plays in the NBA, (laughs) that Kevin Durant is a guy that plays in the NBA. Do you put any stock in that? Like, oh, they should have got a guy who's more filled out. I mean, if if you look at who was left, like if Paolo Bancaro was there, sure. Right. I I think you can make that argument. You look at who was left on the board, I don't know that there was somebody that the Thunder were particularly enamored with because the Thunder want guys that can shoot, pass, and dribble. Right. Like they're looking for guys that are big for their position and skilled for their position. And like, that's not Jabari Smith. Sorry, Keegan Murray. That's not really Jaden Ivey either. And then like, what are we doing? So I think that Chet was always going to be the guy. And in fact, I think if the Thunder had the number one pick, they would have taken Chet anyways. Cause he's, they want five guys on the court that can all grab the ball off the rim and push. And you can say that Paolo can do that, but he's going to do that from the four. The most difficult position to find is a guy who can play five. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that they were going to take him no matter what. Is it a bummer that he can't play with this team this year? Yes, but I don't think they would look back and, and hope differently of you know what they did at the draft. Well, one of my friends, a lot of my friends actually, are Sixers fans. Yeah. They can't help but contrast the way Sam Pinky was like run out of Philly on a rail yeah. compared to the real support and gravitas that Sam Presti has essentially doing the same project. Now, you know, as I point out, and as anyone should point out, Sam Presti also had like a long and established track record of building elite level teams before this era of the Thunder. But what do you make of why Sam has been able to execute this, you know, tanking team building project for so long in OKC? What is it about that market that allows him to have that support to go and go ahead and do that? I think it's because we've seen him do it before. Yeah. yeah. He did this with the Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka team. Like This is how he got there. He had good players. He had could have taken Ray Allen, Rashard Lewis to Oklahoma City, and then you just try to build around them and hope for the best. But he tore that whole thing down. And I, I think that you can point back to that and say, like, this is the way. And he also... I think he's really good with his messaging. Yeah. And that's something that Sam Hinkie was not good about. Like, he didn't talk to the public a whole lot. He didn't really explain himself. He kind of left that on Brett Brown, which was uh, 
not good for him. And Sam, you know, Sam got on a mic right after Chet's injury and explained everything from his side. And I think to me, that is a part of why is like, he's not only like a really good GM, but like PR wise, like he really does try to get out in front of things and like put his stamp on whatever it is. And like, he lets people know that, listen, this is Oklahoma City. We're never going to get a free agent. The best free agent that has ever come to Oklahoma City is Nerlens Noel. And it may not get any better than that. So we have two ways to build a team. It's through trade or through the draft. And we've already seen how trade plays out. When you're trading for a really good player, they likely have one or two years left in their deal. Paul George. Yeah. Paul George thing worked out about as good as it could have for Oklahoma City. Yep. And still, you only had two seasons with him. And so if you're actually trying to build a team that can stay together, that you can you know, fall in love with and you know, hope that they can win a title, this is the only true way that you can do that. The messaging point is, I think, a good one. I completely agree with you in the fact that Sam Hinkie, you know, what he was doing was not some incredibly revolutionary thing in the NBA. Right. But I think the mistake he made was not realizing, like, I'm in a conference with Boston, with all these other big market teams that are with their reporters paying attention to this, that I need to get in front of what we're doing and really prepare people for what they're going to see so they understand what we're doing. Sam Hinkie, to your point, came out recently with a really effective statement on where the team is post-Chet injury. And I think the version of this that really struck me was Sam's long Q&A at the end of last season. Yeah, Take us through that, because that is a thing that you just don't see really in the NBA, where a GM will just come out on Zoom or on a video conference and just answer everybody's questions about what the team is doing. Yeah, we were at the practice facility. It was after exit interviews. It was like a few days after. And Sam said, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to give an opening statement. And then I'm going to answer any question that you guys have about anything. He said, whenever we start to talk about the books that we're reading, that I'm reading this summer, that will be a signal that we're done. (laughs) And it was like two hours of Sam first talked for half an hour just on his own which was just unbelievable. And then he sat there for an hour and a half and answered every single question. That day was particularly tough for me because I had to pee about an hour and 15 (laughs) minutes into it. What were you doing? Were you just like grabbing your calf? I was pressing my laptop against my (laughs) thighs. Like, I'm just, I am in anguish because I'm just like, somebody please ask the book question. And somebody finally did. And I got some relief. The bathroom was very close, but yeah. No, it was great. Sam... Sam is just such an interesting figure because he is he is the Thunder. You know, I think when people think about this team, they think about him. Yeah, he's the face of the team. SGA, no. Josh Giddy, no. When you want to know what's, you know, who the leader, who the voice of the Thunder, it's Sam Presti. Yeah, he, and it's funny because he's sitting there with Mark Degnall, who's the head coach of the team. And this is at Summer League. They're sitting there and I turn to somebody next to me. I was like, how many people know that? That's the head coach. Like, everybody knows that's Sam Presti. How many people know that that's the head coach? And how many teams are like that? You know, in the NBA, who knows the general manager more than the coach? Right. Like, the coach is on TV all the time. Like, you should know who that guy is. Like, nobody knows who the Thunder head coach is because Thunder never on TV. But who do you know? Like, what other team has a more famous executive than head coach? Like, it's, it's unusual. There's probably examples out there. Maybe the Heat. Yeah. But, like... Who else has that? I mean, it's it is pretty fascinating, and it kind of goes to show like what what Sam has been able to do, you know, through the years with his messaging and with the job that he's done. That he is like he's the face of the franchise until they get another true superstar. What are your hopes for this season, and what are your hopes for any kind of you know recuperation timeline for Chet? As you said, 
seems like they're going to want to really, really take their time. And this is an injury that can take a lot of time to recuperate from anyway. And that's not, we're not talking about someone who is a seven foot one elite athlete. Right. Going into the season, what do you expect to see? You know, what are you hoping to see? I think you hope to see progress from some of these younger guys. I think a guy like Josh Giddy that he can take a step forward. Trey Mann, uh, they just signed Lou Dort to this pretty big contract that maybe he can start. And, and this is one of the things that's a bummer too about Chet being out is that Chet was going to put Dort in like the role he was going to be in. Right. And now Dort is probably number two scorer again, which is not ideal. But you kind of hope to see more corner threes from Lou. And then what do they have in Jalen Williams? Yep. You know, what do they have in Usman Jang? You know, is Poku an NBA player? Like those are the things that you can kind of figure out this season. So there's there's going to be things to take away on the court. But honestly, this is like another fast forward to the middle of May, like with the lottery again. Is Poku an NBA player? I mean, he's certainly a meme. And there were some flashes. Is he an NBA guy? <laughs> I have no idea. I have absolutely no clue. I have seen every professional game of Poku, including G League games. Yeah. And I have no idea. I don't know what he is. I don't know what he's going to be. He is, he's fascinating, though. He, he did shoot 40% from the field, which is like a mark that I put at the beginning of the season. Like, <laughs> dear God, please let this guy please shoot 40% from the field. And he did that, so that's good. But to me, it's going to be all about like efficiency with him. Yeah. You know, they've put him in places to succeed. He hasn't really done it yet. He's still super young. I, th- I think he just turned 21. So we're not, or he hadn't even turned 21. He turns 21 in December. So he's still 20 years old. He's actually younger than a lot of guys that were just drafted. Yeah. I mean, that's only an excuse for so long. This is your three as well. Yeah. So it's, to me, some work ethic stuff has been called into question, which is like, oh boy, like he's already not good enough. There's some work ethic stuff. So there's, so to me, this is a big year. I don't know what he's been doing this summer. I don't know how his summer's gone. I'm very interested to see what he looks like in preseason. Cause if he has to go to the G league again, it's not a good sign. This may be Bruno 2.0. How much do you think about Wembanyama? Not a whole lot because I, I'm somebody who likes to guard my heart. Um, I don't like to, I don't like to put my eggs in, in one basket. So I, I'm more thinking about Cam Whitmore. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that seems like a good place to put your eggs. Like he maybe he's like the fourth or fifth prospect in this draft class. Uh, and then if you have the opportunity to get Wimnyama, like great. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't devote any energy to that until I actually see it come to fruition. Yeah, this is kind of a silly question, but it's also one that I think, you know, in light of Chet's injury that, it, it's impossible not to think about like any trepidation about letting young players play in pro am stuff like this. I was so, summer league is a different thing. You're developing chemistry with your with your team. You're understanding kind of what your new team right. is going to be asking of you. You know, very often these summer league teams will run some kind of like scaled down version of whatever offense the team is running, whatever defensive scheme, etc. But a pro am now this is you know you're the opportunity to play with LeBron James. Yeah with Tatum, et cetera. I, I don't know how you turn that down as a young player. That is so exciting. At the same time, what do you think? Is there any way to ask a player, hey, can you think twice about this, please? I don't think so. Like these guys are, they're playing basketball, man. They're going to play basketball no, no matter what, you know, and weird things can happen. Yep. You know, Danilo Gallinari just got hurt. 
Like that super sucks too. Like it's just, I mean, it's just part of the game. Yeah. You want to be reactionary because it's like, he doesn't have to do this. Right. He doesn't have to be there. But also if you're a fan of this particular player, don't you want them to be there? Don't you want them to like want high level competition all the time? So it's just kind of, it sucks that it happened. But to look at it and say, this is the wrong thing to do. Like, no, like this was an NBA sanctioned pro-am. Right. You know, put on by a former NBA player. Like, this is not going and playing at the YMCA. You know, this was a legit thing. And there was obviously, you know, the the wet floor was not ideal, especially optically. I don't really think it had anything to do with it because if you look at the way that he was able to still, like, try to push off on his foot, he didn't slip. Yeah, there's no slip. Yeah, if he slipped, then it would just be like, oh, boy, okay. should add, the game was canceled in the second yeah. quarter because of... Uh, moisture conditions on the court right. but again to your point that did not it certainly did not appear that that wetness was the issue behind chet's injury yeah so there's a lot of unfortunate things i actually feel bad for jamal crawford yeah. in all of this because because he's probably super stressed out about oh man like this guy got hurt this you know really hurt his career it's like man this is just the game man you know as i get older i have stopped playing pickup but when i when i did you know i had like Three of my friends have like serious leg injuries during that time. Like it's just a part of playing sports and it just sucks. Like it's just one of the worst parts of it. Yeah. But it's just a part of it. And to say like, hey, you should stop playing. Right. Those guys are going to go play somewhere anyways, whether it's NBA sanctioned or not. So, and you want those guys to love the game. That's the, the biggest red flag you can have for oh, yeah. a star player is I don't know if they love the game. Yeah, I don't know if they want to play. Yeah, that to me, that is way worse. Where it's like, you know what, Chet, he, he's like Anthony Davis, hadn't touched the basketball in a long time. You know, that, that those kind of stories, like those are more concerning. Like this one sucks. But to me, I'd be more concerned about a player that's like, yeah, I don't know if they love basketball that much. Um, well, Andrew, I can hear the hurt in your voice. And... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I wish you the best. Listen, uh, obviously, it, um, yeah. not ideal. At the same time, I think, you know, some thinking about recent guys who sat out their first year because of injuries, et cetera, whether it's, you know, Ben Simmons or Embiid, it turned out okay and turned out for the best. So I'm hoping that is the yeah. case because Manchette is freaking exciting at his size, the things that he can do, the way he can move, the kind of skill that he has. Yeah. Blocking shots and scoring, I, I'm I'll be excited to see him back on the court, man. Yeah, same here, man. It's it's terrible because in summer league the arena was just electric when he was out there, and you just were you know hoping to see that with Shea, with Giddy, with Poku even, and you know you have that stripped from you. It's it it sucks. I mean, Giddy and Chet. I mean, that was. You could tell how much Giddy appreciated these passes that he's been throwing, like, had a home all of a sudden, you know? like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no doubt that I'm not throwing the ball to Darius Baisley anymore. I'm throwing it to a, a guy that I can be playing with for, for a long time. And Giddy's kind of an interesting guy because he didn't really have anybody I would say that he was, yeah. like, close with on the team last year. And then he already seems to have, like, a real affinity for Chet. And so you were kind of hoping to see that bromance blossom Same. during the season. And now you don't even get to see that. It's just, it's just, uh, I'm sad now. I told you I was good at the beginning I of the love- episode. Now I'm sad. Well, I, Andrew, again, I wish you the best and good luck and a uh, quick recovery for Chet. Awesome. Thanks, man. And uh, I'll be watching the Thunder. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. College football season is here, which means it's time to dust off my Rutgers jersey. What a run they had some years back. Eh, whatever. And there's a lot to look forward to this year, including realignment, the shattering of age-old rivalries, the Big Ten fleeing its home since the Reagan administration to a, a panoply of new homes across multiple networks and a $1 billion a year annual payday. P.S. These players are still technically amateurs. To help us break down all of this is the great Nicole Auerbach, college football reporter for The Athletic, named the 2020 National Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Media Association, just one of the best legitimately to ever do it. Nicole, welcome to Take Line. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take us through this landmark Big Ten deal, you know, $7 billion over the life of the contract, a billion dollars a year, multiple uh, networks are going to carry the games. Tell us about this deal and tell us how it changes the sport. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, the, the money is obviously a big headline topic and the idea of a college conference making over a billion dollars a year in media rights revenue alone in in a world where yes, athletes are compensated for NIL, but it's, you know, we're not talking about employees, employers, we're not talking about revenue sharing. I think that is, it draws attention to some of that. And I, I feel like there's been actually for sure. quite a lot of attention around that, like CJ Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback, bringing it up and talking about it as well, kind of coming out of this. But it's also structured in a very interesting way. I think, you know, everyone was curious to see you know, how much are, are these brands and like pro leagues or people willing to go into streaming? How much are they going to dip their toe into there? So obviously they partner and they have, they're going to have eight big 10 football games on Peacock per year. I think we'll see that more with basketball. They'll have a lot more basketball games that people will have to seek out and go find. 
But the more interesting piece is to go with over the air, linear national networks, major audiences leaning into that and going away from ESPN. I mean, I think that's been, you know, really massive. And every time I've talked to anyone throughout the industry, that's one of the first things they bring up is I can't believe the Big Ten is leaving ESPN or ESPN didn't do what it took to get the Big Ten, depending on how, you know, which side you come on that. But that's pretty stunning. And it says a lot about, again, I think kind of the way we consume live sports and consume content these days is the Big Ten is betting that you'll find wherever the game is and you'll turn it on to watch the game. But you're probably also getting your news and your storylines and your talking points and your interest, interesting things that you consume about college football elsewhere. And you don't have to be on SportsCenter highlights. You don't have to be, you know, thinking about the ESPN studio show. So I think that is also a very interesting dynamic of this deal. ESPN has been the home of the Big Ten since the 80s. Why did they not go in for this? What caused this separation? So I think you probably go all the way back to the beginning of the Big Ten Network um, and just sort of some of the dynamics there and the way that it was created. You know, obviously the Big Ten owned part of it. Fox is a partner of the Big Ten and owns the Big Ten Network now, which is very different than like the SEC Network and the ACC Network, which are ESPN properties. But also the ESPN and and, um, and ABC and Disney, they went all in with the SEC in their last deal. So they have an exclusive relationship with them. Like we're not going to have the big game of the week on CBS. It's going to be a big 10 game actually at 3.30. Part of the reason that CBS wanted that to be part of that package. But, you know, so they're, they're going all in with the SEC. And I think, first of all, you have a couple different questions of like, well, you know, who are they going to push? Who are they going to pick for game day locations? Who are they going to support? I mean, they have a financial interest in the SEC. They're, they have an incentive for the SEC to do what they can to have the SEC succeed. And so I think you have some of that. And then obviously also like, where would you put those big 10 games? Cause you're going to have the best SEC games for prime time and all these different time slots. Yeah. So I think in some of it's like, well, we, we have these other college football properties. Do we need the big 10? And then also like the price point, the big 10 was asking for, that's what ESPN will say. Like they were asking for a lot for not even the same type of package that ESPN previously had. And so, you know, they were willing to walk away, but it is going to be really, really weird. I, I don't think you're going to have a situation like that happened when hockey left ESPN, where the networks just didn't talk about hockey. It was like never a highlight. It, it was as if it didn't exist. I think you're still going to have that because yeah. you're not going to be able to talk about college football and not talk about Ohio State. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting dynamic, especially because ESPN is the exclusive partner of the playoff for another four years, too. So you know, those teams will eventually play on ESPN in non-conference or in the CFP. But it's going to be strange to turn on the game at like noon Eastern on a Saturday and not have like Purdue, Iowa. I mean, like there's just like, there's a tradition that, you know, will just feel weird. This TV deal comes on the heels of of some significant realignment. USC, UCLA uh, moving from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren said in July that more realignment is probably coming What do you think the effects of all of this, all of these changes is going to be on the sport? So overall, I think it's just an increasing professionalization of college football. You know, we've obviously been moving in that direction for a long time. But when you have a conference that now goes from L.A. to New York and, you know, a UCLA soccer player going to play Rutgers is a conference game and that's going to happen on a weeknight. I mean, that just becomes very hard to say that this is about, you know, kind of the purity of competition or amateurism (laughs) and all of the things that the NCAA always says. So, you know, it's obviously about money and markets. Um, But I, I think, so you have that happening. And then also with the realignment, it's consolidation, 
which I, I don't think anyone who grew up on college football is happy about or likes. I think we all understand why these things are happening. And, you know, everyone's worried about their financial security in the future. So if you're UCLA and USC and you have a chance to join the Big Ten and potentially like double your uh, your, your payday each year to, to make sure you don't have to cut sports so you can support your team, so you can compete for national championships, if there is a world where you have to pay players, you have more income coming in to then distribute whatever that might happen. I get why people want to go to the SEC and the Big Ten, but it's definitely not great for competitive balance. I don't think it's great for the rivalries that we love, like the regional flair of college sports goes away. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think we are moving much more towards that and professionalization of college sports in parallel and intersecting tracks. And so it's just sort of like everyone's trying to, everyone wants to be in the room that gets to decide like what the next iteration of college sports is. And they're also prepared for like, if a court or Congress tells you to do something, you, you want to be in the best resourced school. So like all of that coming together creates a very interesting dynamic, but it becomes very, very hard to, to think about like, again, some of those talking points the NCAA has used for years in court. Yeah. Like it, it becomes very hard to, to, to think that there's, you know, any teeth to that. You mentioned Congress and some recent rulings uh, regarding name, image, and likeness proceeds and the players being able to profit off of their own image and their own likeness. How does this massive influx of money into the sport that is still ostensibly amateur affect how that money gets parceled out? And I should add, like, you know, we're going through a conversation about student loan restructuring and forgiveness in this country. Of course, that's not a connected issue, not that that matters in American politics, but you could see people saying, wait a second, didn't I just see that colleges are making like a billion dollars a year and all of a sudden, like, we're asking taxpayers to bail out students? Like, there's going to be a conversation about how much money these universities are making. How does that affect the structure of the sport? I think that there's a lot of people who work in and around college sports who are ready to like fight that battle to the to the dying breath, right? Like they're like, this is what college sports is. One of the foundational pillars is that they're not employees, that they are not paid to play the sport. That's what makes it different. That's what makes it unique. And so they're the ones saying like, we will fight this until like a court forces us to do something about that. And also cynically, you could be like, well, why would anyone voluntarily like give up revenue or voluntarily share something unless they have to? But yeah. I do think there are a lot of people that are preparing for reality where there is revenue sharing or collective bargaining or employee employer. I mean, one of the lawsuits that's working its way through the system right now, Johnson versus the NCAA, is basically just saying, well, why can't they just at least be hourly wage employees if yeah. the student who is working the concessions at the game is paid that way and also is on a work study or a scholarship, yet they're able to be paid an hourly wage? Why can't the players, right? So like, there's a couple different ways that this is being challenged. And then obviously, this has become, teeing off in the NCAA has become a bipartisan issue, which is very impressive in the current polarized environment yes. that we, people can come together to to attack the NCAA. So there's also like different ways, you know, some of the, the Democrat-sponsored bills, you know, go far beyond just NIL and would address some of this stuff or unionization or revenue sharing or different pieces or healthcare, you know, for the rest of their lives. Like there's a number of potential ways that this goes, but it just feels like the current situation with NIL is like a stopgap. Like it, it doesn't feel like this is where it's going to end up. I don't know how many years it will take, and I don't know which domino will be the one 
that falls that actually changes the business model, but it definitely feels like the financial model is going to shift because it will have to. Um, the question is, you know, do, does anyone get in front of it proactively like they did not with NIL and propose some sort of, you know, revenue sharing arrangement or parameters, or do we have to wait until a court mandates it? But it definitely doesn't feel like this is going to be where we stay. And I think, you know, the openness in with which a lot of administrators and commissioners are talking about things like revenue sharing, to me, that, that would have been just blasphemy. I mean, no one would have said these words five years ago, 10 years ago. So I, I do think a lot of people are starting to talk about these things more as an inevitability. They just don't know what the shape will be because you just don't know which, if it is a specific lawsuit, if it is Congress, if it is something specific, like what specifically shapes how they're going to have to do it. But it does feel inevitable in a lot of ways. This Big Ten TV deal has multiple networks sharing this content. You have Fox, CBS, NBC through their actual channel and, of course, the Peacock platform. And it feels like the other shoe to drop is not just in college football, but in sports writ large, is when Apple, Amazon, et cetera, make a big push for sports. And we're seeing it happen in small ways. Of course, you know, Apple TV Plus has MLB games. There's going to be NFL games on Amazon. But do you expect that to happen in the near term with college football? And what do you think the effects might be? Well, it's, it's definitely clear that Amazon wants to be in these spaces and is bidding pretty aggressively on, on some of these sports products that they're not landing. So I think everyone's definitely watching the way that they dip their toe in and have now obviously built up around Thursday night football. The Apple Friday night baseball games has been a very interesting and totally different approach as well. So I think everyone's sort of tracking on this. I think the Big Ten was probably intrigued by, I think, those partnerships, especially Amazon, I think would be very interesting. And But, but there's still so much pushback, especially with these you know, older audiences like a college football audience and baseball, I think specifically, like, you know, you're just, everyone can picture, right? Their, their grandpa trying to log in. Where's the game? <laughs> How do you do it? Calling up the grandchild to log them in and just hope that they just leave it alone and can watch, right? So I think there's still resistance when you talk to like athletic directors and people on campuses about their audiences and about their fan bases. But I do think this is a smart way to do it for the Big Ten standpoint. They picked one of the cheaper options and they picked one that already has a relationship with NBC. Notre Dame fans had to use it for a Peacock game last year when they nearly lost to Toledo. I, I also figured out that I had it as well at that point because <laughs> scrambling to figure out how I could watch the Notre Dame game. So I think, you know, they're watching to see if the behaviors change. And then if you could have more packages on those types of partners, because you know, as we think about potential future Big Ten expansion, if they go West and they add more West Coast teams and now they could sell a late night, Saturday night package, I mean, yes, ESPN, that's a valuable property for them. Those are the only games that are on in that window. Or does Amazon, do some of these other partners want to go in? I think it, it's still a question because even what the Big Ten did, even with the amount of basketball games that are going to be on Peacock, it's still not the same as, you know, what MLS did or some of these other right. partners that are really going all in, which, again, I think soccer audiences are much more used to yeah. paying for what they value. It's a year-round thing, whatever it is. But, yeah, I think that's going to be interesting to track on. And then, obviously, the Pac-12's media deal is now being negotiated. They opened up their window early. And, you know, they're, they're, their tech companies are literally in their footprint. You've got to think that, that the Pac-12 would want to be innovative, would try something different. So, 
I think as we wait to see, you know, when these trends are really going to change, we have to watch to see the success of something like Thursday night football, the success of Friday night baseball. And then again, to see like who's doing what in the college space, because it's just traditionally older, um, you know, more rural type audiences that people are, I think are just a little bit too hesitant to go all in on streaming. She's Nicole Albrack, senior college football writer for The Athletic. Nicole, thank you so much for joining TakeLine. This was very informative. Yeah, thank you for having me anytime. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to TakeLine Show. Check out my pop culture and entertainment podcast, X-Ray Vision, which comes out every Friday. Check it out. Bye. Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah de Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.